Welcome to Running Out of Space, a podcast about collectors, their collections, and how they make room for it all in their lives. Today's guest is Matthew Allison, the hand and mind behind the indie comic book, Cancor. Though he's a recovering VHS tape collector, Matthew can't shake his habit of collecting comics and grindhouse movie posters. If I had walked into the comic shop that Matthew worked at in the 90s, he would have probably turned his nose up at my choices. Today, we meet eye to eye as ragged junkies who can't kick. Check it out. Am I going to be looking at the uh, the alien face the whole interview? I hope not. I'd like to <laughs> get this video going. Okay, how's that? Much better. Is that someone from Star Wars? Uh, you know, it's a Don Post mask um, who did all the Star Wars masks, um, you know, that you could buy in Famous Monsters back in the day. Yeah. But it's called like a Gar- Gordian alien or something like that. It was a mask that I my uh, my uncle had when I was a kid. Oh, cool. Yeah. Did he scare the crap out of you or did he change your life? Oh, change my life. Yeah. For the better. <laughs> I have moments like that. When I was a little boy, there was a neighbor and I walk into his room and plastered all over his room are like posters of like Def Leppard, Van Halen, Iron Maiden. It was mm-hmm. the first time I saw the Eddie character. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. The um, Ozzy Osbourne Bark at the Moon poster. Uh huh. You know, where Ozzy's like a werewolf. Yeah, yeah. Completely shifted my trajectory of my entire life. From then on, I was a metalhead and I was a little boy, but like I could really point back to that moment of seeing that imagery and it's some, something sparking in my, my little head. Yeah, yeah, that'll do it to you. I mean, it's, um, it's those little things that, uh, um, you know, for whatever reason, just a button gets pushed and that's it. You're done. That's yes. you're into that for the rest of your life. Yeah. Were you always drawing or was there something like that that kicked you off and sparked your interest? My dad um, would draw a lot. He actually did tattoos for a little while when I was a kid. And my mom was an artist or still is an artist. Um, so just seeing the two of them work on stuff uh, and they always had art books around the house. My dad was really big into Frank Frazetta. So, you know, my dad had the Frazetta books and calendars, and then my mom would recreate Frazetta paintings with um, uh, pastels. So seeing her do that made me realize like, oh, an actual person did that. You, you know, somebody can, you can sit down and get these tools and, and make something. Yeah. That's really important to see somebody else doing it. It took a while for me to wrap my, my personal head around creating when you're small and you're just kind of um, developing on your own, you see all, mostly you just see finished product and it seems like such a far distance away, um, such a far gap. But when you're little seeing how something, uh, the ins and outs, something Mm -hmm. how it started progresses along and then finishes is probably so important to a creative. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a, there was a program on, uh, PBS, it, it went under different titles. I know at one point it was called Reddit, R-E-A-D-I-T. Um, I can't remember the other titles, but it was this artist who would read passages from famous books like Secret Garden and stuff like that. And then you'd watch him draw a scene from the book. So that was really fascinating to me as a kid, too, to be able to 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 watch somebody else do that and and realize like, oh, this is there's a thought process behind this. 
in some ways it became daunting too because this guy was so um just free-flowing in the way that he created these images there, there wasn't a lot of preliminary stuff and i he could have been doing all of that ahead of time and then when he sat down to draw he had drawn it already so he was prepped in that way yeah um but you know so that that for me there was a little magic to it as well because you could watch somebody do a magic trick that doesn't necessarily mean you you can figure it out sure um so there you know it was a it was a balance between the two for sure yeah things seem so unattainable when you're a kid yeah seeing finished product or seeing something that's done um but being in a household where you see the process um really really must have advanced you in, in certain ways and kind of pushed you along into your own sense of confidence of, yeah. uh, yes, I can do this too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. That's definitely the case. So you're a collector and I want to get to that, but you're also a creator. Yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I've been working in comics um, semi-professionally for the past eight years. Uh, this last year, 2020, was the first year I just did art full time. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I had a book come out from Ad House um, in 2020. And prior to that, I was doing some self-publishing. Just had a new book come back from the printers on Friday, which went up for sale on my website. Um, and uh, I, like, I've almost sold out. So uh, congratulations uh, to that. Yeah, it's been surprising with everything that's going on in the world that, you know, this was the year that I was able to make it happen because... Mm -hmm. You know, once uh, once COVID hit at the beginning of 2020, I was like, oh, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, nobody's going to want to buy art. Nobody's going to want to buy comics. And it's been the complete opposite. Yes. Collectors markets have gone crazy. I know you, you've talked about it on the show and, and other people talk about, you know, it's just everybody's sitting at home and all they can do is get online and order all this stuff. That, yes. You know, so, yeah, it's it's been uh, fortuitous in, in that in that sense. Did you start? Um, was your discipline in cartooning from the jump or are you an illustrator or graphic designer? How did you um, angle towards um, sequential storytelling? I think that was, that was always ingrained in me uh, just because my dad always had comic books. And so in terms of how much art I saw, the majority of it was comic book art or mm -hmm. fantasy illustration or something along those lines, pulpy stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think no matter what, I was always going to head in that direction. And once I got into high school, um, I got a job at a comic book store when I was 16. I was huge into Batman. It was 1989. So the movie had come out. We had just seen Dark Knight Returns and Batman Year One and Killing Joke and all this stuff. So Batman was my life when I was a 16. great job. 16 yeah. comic shop. Wow. That's yeah, a job. exactly. Yeah, it was great. Um, except, you know, half of my paycheck or more than half of my paycheck went to buying comic books, um, which a lot of I got rid of over the years. But uh, I'd had the collecting bug prior to that. But being there at the comic book store and being able to see collections come in, having access to all these back issues and just, you know, um, the, the daily exposure to that stuff really just locked me into the collector mindset yeah and you're in chicago yes yeah that must be a big comic book city it definitely is uh we moved here from denver about two years ago and okay. um compared to denver it absolutely is for sure there's a lot of artists here 
Are there any artists that are famous that are from Colorado or from Denver? Um, the biggest one would be John Porcelino, uh -huh. who's not originally from Denver. He's from Illinois, but he moved to Denver in the 90s and he started King Cat Comics, which is a independent book uh, that he did. He's still doing to this day. Mm -hmm. um, and it's been collected by John and Quarterly and, um, it, you know, he's, he's pretty well regarded. And I would say him and Noah Van Skyver, uh, who does a lot of work with Fanographics, um, the, the two of them are probably the biggest names from, from Denver um, in terms of like alternative comics. There are some mainstream comic artists there. Uh, Amy Reeder, I think, is from Colorado and, and a few others. Um, so yeah, it's, not, it's not, definitely not as, as large of a scope as it is here in Chicago. Yeah. Um, do you find your work is different? compared from what you were doing in Denver to what you're doing in Chicago? Have you, is the inspiration level a bit different? Uh, that's a good question. I hadn't thought about that, but I think um, simply knowing that this is now my day job has changed the, the, uh, the perception of what I'm doing in terms of this isn't just for fun anymore. It's not just a hobby. This is something, you know, if I'm doing a custom commission for somebody, uh, the mindset is I need to put in as many hours into this as I, as I can to make it look, you know, up to snuff in terms of the quality that they're expecting. Mm -hmm. I'm also in competition with other artists because I'm repped by someone who has 30 other artists in his stable. So I'm, you know, gauging what I'm doing compared to those other artists also here now being in Chicago and, and being around people that are more mainstream and, and have a higher profile, I, I feel like I'm now in that pool and being judged, you know, compared to some of those other people as well. So it's, it's definitely um, uh, changed the, the perception I have of myself as an artist, for sure, and how that's seen in, in the artwork. Um, you know, I, I've tried new techniques in the last few years, which maybe have, have elevated what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, so that that possibly has changed my artwork a little bit. I find it and I could be way off here. It's like um, I'm really into your style. It's kind of European almost, but it has a very American aspect to it. Sure. Can you talk about kind of where you picked up your style from. Uh, I think that the style has come about because I could never really settle on doing a mainstream uh, John Romita Jr. or uh, Mike Zek style comic uh, um, uh, uh, look. You know, there, there's a certain way that the, the artists that I like from the, the 80s period of Marvel they they're not necessarily house style because I was more into the um, iconoclastic artists like Art Adams, mm -hmm. Brian Boland, uh, um, Dave Gibbons, Bill Sienkiewicz, you know, just yeah. just the, the crazier, the better or the more stylized, the better. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, people like Mike Zek and Steve Rude were more rooted in traditional cartooning or, yeah. or comic book art. So there's a there's a combination of that. There is a, a deep love for Mobius. Um, Kaza uh, uh, is another one. A lot of the heavy metal guys, uh, you know, that you were seeing in the 70s and 80s. And then 
towards the end of the 80s into the early 90s, I just became super enamored with Daniel Klaus and Jim Woodring, the Hernandez brothers. Yeah. So I think my style is just a melding of all of that stuff. So you got like a little bit of Bernie Wrightson, but then you've also got Jim Woodring and, yeah, um, you know, all those techniques that have come together and, and I'm not worried about who I'm appealing to. I, I'm not trying to appeal to the mainstream crowd. I'm not trying to wholly appeal to alternative uh, comics people. And it just really freed me up to just do whatever I want. Yeah. I know it's hard to talk about your personal style. So thanks for bearing with me on that one. Well done. Seventies is definitely a good, a a good kind of um, flag to plant when I'm thinking of your style. It's definitely that heavy metal seventies flair. Maybe that's what I kind of was picking up on when I said like that, um, that distinctively American feel as well. Sure. Yeah. When I, when I started this comic, uh, Kankor, um, the intent was to draw something that was very similar to, uh, actually the, the comic I was, I was aping a little bit was, um, Avengers annual number nine. Okay. Not in like 1980 or 81. And it's Don Newton, who's about as traditional as you can get. Um, you know, I just thought, well, I'm going to do this weird superhero thing. That's, that's somewhat a tribute to that. Cause in that story, it's just the Avengers are stuck in their mansion and there's this, uh, giant hulking creature um named arsenal who breaks into the mansion so like i'll just do that (laughs) have you know some weird villain break in but they're having a party and they're all getting really drunk so they're so drunk that they can't deal with this (laughs) this villain um so yeah that that was that was the the style i was going for for sure was the the bronze age um you know late 70s early 80s stuff very cool and how many issues of Cankered have you um, put out? You said you put out a book on Ad House. I know you just released something last week. So how many total are in the canon so far? Uh, let's see. You've got, I did a mini comic uh, initially, which is the one I was just talking about. Mm-hmm. And then I did a two issue series. And then the four issue series that was comprised in that Ad House book. So that's, that's seven issues. And then this new one would make eight. Um, so about, I mean, not a whole lot of, of work overall in terms of that, maybe, you know, 200 pages worth of comics so far. And you, you ink them all yourself, right? I do everything. Yeah. Yes. That's fantastic. Thanks. So do you have people that, um, clamor for the sold out books? Do you have, um, people hounding you for original art? I get inquiries into whether or not I have some of the out of print stuff um, because I've been seeing that go for big money on eBay. Mm -hmm. Um, The ad house book, you know, uh, Chris printed um, 1500 of those, you know, it was being somewhat conservative and, you know, it sold out super quick. Again, very surprising during the pandemic, it pushed back the release date a little bit, but Mm -hmm. Uh, the book came out in mid-June, and by mid-August, we had sold 90% of the print run. And now that book goes for like $60 on eBay and, and up probably at this point. Um, and uh, so I have this weird thing about letting these books die because part of me, and every artist does this, everybody I know who does comics feels this way, like at a certain point, you're like, man, that's 
that's not quite what I wanted it to be. My next one's going to be even better. I'm not worried about reprinting this. I'm not, you know, if, if it's out of print, fine, because I'm going to do something better further down the road. Mm -hmm. But I do know that people want to read it. So eventually I'll probably collect everything I've done so far into a Kickstarter mm -hmm. book, um, you know, do like a hardcover edition. Mm -hmm. um, just because, you know, I, I'm not big on digital comics. I know that that would be a good way for me to get the work out there because mm -hmm there's no overhead. And, and I have had some people reach out and say that they would like to read something digitally. Uh, I just like having a physical book. That's just yeah. a personal preference for me. It goes back into the collector mindset for sure. Yeah. I'm the same way. You know, I actually do enjoy digital comics, but there mm -hmm. are certain runs that I'll finish and I'll say to myself, Oh, I wish I really had those hard copies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of stuff that I can kind of tear through, maybe like old back issues, old events, stuff that is just impossible to kind of honestly to afford. Mm -hmm. You know, digital comics are good that way, especially, you know, like Marvel's doing a really good job at it. Um, and plus, there's something to be said about like that, that dynamic view option. Sure. It, yeah, you know, yeah. It makes it more cinematic. But yeah, there's often times when I finish something and I really now want either the issues or I want the graphic novel on my shelf or the absolute edition. So I'm with you, you know, it's kind of a bummer when you finish something digitally and you kind of want to celebrate it a little bit more, but you don't really have anything. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I had gone to some shops to get uh, James Heron's new comic ultra mega when it came out mm -hmm. and I couldn't find it. So I was like, well, I'll go on Comixology and get it because I just want to read it. But the whole time I'm looking at it, I'm like, man, I really want this physical copy. And uh, so the subsequent issues, I ended up getting physical. Um, and eventually, I'm sure I'll just get that in trade because his artwork is so fantastic. And I would love it to be oversized when they do yes. finally print it. I don't know if that's feasible or not. But uh, uh -huh. But I'm, you know, like in the, in, in the moment, I am trying to fill in all the holes in my Frank Miller Daredevil collection, mm -hmm. simply because I think those comics look so much better in the original printing. The plates are a little bit off. There's some funkiness in terms of, you know, color trapping and things like that. But that's what I love about it. And I feel like Miller and uh, Klaus Janssen were working knowing that that was how these books were going to look. Yeah. And their color choices reflected that. So when you see those books in their original form on that cheap newsprint with, you know, slightly you know, offset plates, uh, it just looks fantastic to me, especially that content. Though That's those stories, you know, when, when Daredevil drops down into the sewer and everything turns kind of a bluish green. I, I love all that. So, uh, you know, I've, I've shelled out a little bit of extra money to get some decent, you know, quality copies of some of the earlier Frank Miller issues just for that reason. And you're not talking about the Mazzuchelli born again stuff. You're talking about the other stuff. The earlier. Yeah. Like um, even the stuff that Roger McKenzie wrote when Frank Miller was just penciling it um, into the full Frank Miller run. Yeah. Yeah. The born again stuff I've had for years, you know, when I bought that stuff off the shelf when it came out. Amazing. So. Were you yeah. working at the shop when that dropped? No, that was a little earlier. Than it was a little before, yeah. Yeah, that was, um, you know, Mazza Kelly was the, my introduction to Daredevil because I couldn't afford the Frank Miller stuff. So, <laughs> right. you know, that I there was a, a shop, the shop that I ended up working at prior to being in the location where I, where I worked, 
um, he had a uh, indoor flea market. And that was the first time I had actually seen comic books bagged and boarded. Yeah. Um, or seen a full collection of something. Yeah. You know, all of my comics as a kid would just be random. My mom would go to the store and she'd just buy me whatever. So it could be Richie Rich one week and then the next week it's Spider Man. Yes. I didn't know anything about continuity. I knew I saw the numbers on the cover, but I didn't know like, oh, there's a whole story here. So when I went in and I saw like, oh, wow, I could buy 15 issues of this Daredevil story and read the whole thing. That was pretty mind blowing. I was probably 12 when I saw that for the first time. Yeah, I remember that hallelujah moment when I first discovered a direct market shop. Mm-hmm. Walking in, seeing all the books there. It's not just a rack in the newsstand. But yeah. you really touched my soul when you said the first time that you realized that comics would be bagged and boarded. I, I'm right there with you. That was pure revelation. Yeah, yeah. I say well, this a lot that, that, you know, a lot of people, they kind of, um, they venerate the record shops as like changing their lives. For me, like it was a comic book shop. Sure. I didn't really hang out in record shops. Yeah. It was more yeah, like st- sitting around in the comic shops. Yeah. Same here. Um, you know, my parents had a great record collection, but I don't, uh, you know, as a kid, we would get our records from Sears or Kmart. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have that experience. till after I'd graduated of you know, making a trek to go to some out of the way record store, right. um, but the comic book store. Yeah. And, and when the, guy that ran that shop was in the indoor flea market my best friend and i we were like hey we're gonna go down there i think his dad suggested this like you should go and see if he will let you work there for a weekend and then give you comics and trade for for working there yeah and what he had us do was bag and board comics yes so you just you're sitting there looking at all of this stuff and he didn't give us anything super valuable to you know but it was like I'm bagging a whole run of Alpha Flight. I'm bagging all of the, um, you know, uh, uh, John Romita Jr. X-Men, stuff like that. And in the meantime, he's got on the wall some of the more expensive issues. So I was eyeballing those the whole time. And then at the end of the day, I was like, oh, I'm so excited. And he was like, yeah, I'll give you $15 in credit. You know, you can get whatever you want. And I'm pretty sure I got Alpha Flight number one, because of that cover, and then some of the other Burn Fantastic Four issues. And comics were like a dollar then. So 15 bucks, that was pretty good. Yeah, it was actually, yeah. Yeah, this was the, I, yeah, maybe this stuff was- um, 75 cents maybe? Yeah, 70, yeah, 75 seems right. Yeah. You know? What was like seeping in when you were working at the comic shop? You mentioned Batman. Was it at the height? Was it like 89 Batman? Was it that at that height? Yeah, 89 Batman. So- you know, right after that, you had Death in the Family, which mm-hmm. was a huge deal, obviously. Um, I got to see all of the image stuff happen firsthand, and that just grossed me out. Yeah. You, you know, watching my, you know, my boss, uh, I have this blurb in my comic about this, where my boss, when Legends of the Dark Knight number one came out, he was telling people like you need to buy hundreds of copies of this and the mindset being like imagine if you could go back in time and buy you know the very first appearance of all these characters and you'd be a millionaire right now so that's what he was telling people and i knew it wasn't true it was like this is impossible there's no way anybody's going to be making any money off of this and while that was happening i was seeing books like eight ball come in and i remember the first issue of eight ball being on the shelf and i just look at that thing i was like god this is so weird it's this weird 50s style of art, but it's brand new. And 
it's got perverted stuff in it and it's got this weird David Lynch thing going on and and that's intriguing to me um Love and Rockets was the same way Yummy Fur scared me Chester Brown's Yummy Fur but I was fascinated by it so I knew there was this whole other thing happening at the same time that the speculator bubble was starting to blow up and image started and, and I was seeing kids freak out about Rob Liefeld I'm like man you don't like read concrete, read, you know, this other stuff. Dark Horse was putting out some cool stuff. Concrete was great. I, I love that, um, that comic book. And, and it always was a shame to me that someone like Paul Chadwick wasn't making a million dollars and being yeah. interviewed on TV. You know, it's like quality wise, it's just like, why is this happening? But that's just the nature of it. Yeah, I was definitely a sucker for uh, 90s comics. Mm -hmm. I was of that age. I love Todd McFarlane, but I also, I stuck around long enough um, to kind of learn better. It's funny. I remember it was college when I discovered uh, Daniel Klaus and it was from getting uh, insulted by this young lady who was a total Enid type. Uh -huh. And I was talking comics with some other dude and yeah. she asked if we've ever heard of Daniel Klaus. And I'm like, no, like what, who? And she thought we were total dorks. Yeah. And uh, th that was kind of a turning point for me with comics um, where I think the horizon kind of opened up where it wasn't just spandex and capes anymore. I started kind of um, chasing after more, um, more of like the literature angle of it, the fine yeah. arts angle of it, I guess, or the, the more kind of singular vision of it. Forget fine yeah, arts, just more singular vision. That's the other thing too, was that you realize like, well, this eight ball comic, this guy's doing all of this. Yes. There's no bullpen. It's not a group of people doing this. And then he started doing the Dan Pussy stories where he was making fun of that way of doing comics. And that was a real eye opener for me because I was like, wow, I could sit here and do everything on this. I don't have to team up with somebody. I don't have to find someone who can color this for me or find somebody. And it took a long time for me to, to develop skills because I dropped out of art school and I, I had some other issues that kept me from, I, honestly, my collecting took over from my desire to make art uh -huh. for a very long time and derailed that for most of my twenties when I should have been just drawing every night instead yeah. of, you know, going to tower records and buying import CDs and shit like that. Um, so, but yeah, that, that element of it, all of those creators that were being published by Drawn Quarterly and Kitchen Sink and, you know, seeing Robert Crumb uh, work early on. I mean, I remember seeing a lot of the like Zap comics that you'd be mm -hmm. at some kid's house and his older brother would have Zap comics. And I was just like, man, this stuff's kind of gross. Uh, you know, but it, you knew it was well done. You knew that the, the artists behind that had a lot of skill. And, um, and then Crumb, especially, you know, into the 80s, you know, Weirdo, the work that he did for Weirdo was mind-blowing. It's so aggro, his Weirdo. Yeah. He's like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm remiss to say fine art. It, I, I really, it really isn't that. It's more of the aspect of somebody um, following their own creative vision. Because, I mean, these guys weren't considered fine artists this is only after the fact so it's not really appropriate to kind of label it that they were cartoonists and they were traditionalists yeah. i suppose in a way right yeah but they were like into mad and stuff right and cracked 
Exactly. And they took that and realized, you know, we could take this style of art. You could do a comic that looks like Ernie Bushmiller's Nancy, but you could make it about your own life. You can do something. Um, you can do anything. You could make these comics about anything that you want to and have complete control over it. And I, I know that a lot of people will say, you know, comics are great because there's no budget. You don't have to you know, worry about your special effects budget. You can draw whatever you want. And then usually the example they give is that you have these widescreen space scenes or whatever. But for me, it's more about the fact that you don't have to compromise anything. So yes. I was just listening to uh, David Lynch's autobiography and he was talking about how disappointed he was when he made Blue Velvet that he wanted to use a song by, um, I think this Mortal Coil, uh, Song of the Siren. And he wanted that in the movie and they couldn't afford it. But he was obsessed with it. And he's like, I gotta have this. Well, you don't have that in comics. You don't, well, first off, you're not gonna worry about having a song anyway, but you don't have to worry about where you're gonna pluck other things from, or, you know, is the sun, cinematographer gonna understand my vision? Is the actor that I hired going to portray this character the way that I envisioned it when I wrote it? Like, you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. So the budget part of it is true, but it's also just the idea that you're not locked into the limitations of anything else around you, other than, you know, your own ability to draw, obviously. Mm -hmm. But if, if you have a certain skill set, or you tailor your, tailor your skill set to the kind of work that you want to do, it is unlimited, completely unlimited. It's a medium where you could really also do the things that movies can't. I mean, I know we live in the age of, of CGI and big Marvel mm -hmm. movies and big comic book movies where you can show yeah. Spider-Man swinging around the city and it does look fluid. Yeah. But so many times I'll watch these big budget comic movies and while they are great and kudos to them, I still would rather read a comic. I'm, I'm, I'm really weird about this. I'm, I'm there with you for the most part. And the reason I would say I'm, I'm with you on that is because if you're watching a, a, a big budget CGI filled Spider-Man movie, no matter how great they make that costume, it's not going to look like the John Romita version of that character. If you love the Todd McFarlane version, you're never going to get that in a movie. And the one that everybody praised was the End of the Spider-Verse, the animated one, because they just cribbed all of this comic book art. So you've got Kingpin, who looks like Bill Sienkiewicz's version. Well, that's great. But I'd still love to just sit and look at Bill Sienkiewicz's, you know, Daredevil Love and War and look at the way he painted Kingpin, not somebody else's interpretation of that. On the other hand, if you were going to ask me, like, would you rather sit down and spend six hours reading new Avengers comics in the big omnibus, or would you rather spend six hours watching the last two Avengers movies? I'll watch the movies any, any day of the week because I just, you know, unless it's an artist that I really like, I, I'll read, you know, the Kree scroll wars, the old John Romita stuff or not John Romita, excuse me, John Buscema um, before I'd want to sit and watch a movie. But in terms of like modern Avengers comics, I don't have a whole lot of interest in that. And I would, I'd much rather watch Avengers Endgame than, than read something. And that's not to denigrate that stuff. I just personally don't have any interest in it. Did you read the Hickman stuff? No, I never did. That no. was really fantastic. I was out of um, superhero books for such a long time. Mm -hmm. And then I picked that up. I was never really an Avengers guy. 
Okay. I picked that up because I like Jonathan Hickman's um, Shield. He did that Shield miniseries. Okay. And I'd read some of his image stuff prior to that. So I gave it a shot and it was so good, man. I've heard great things about it. And I don't, I don't mean, well, I'll, I'll tell you something. I, I, what got me back into mainstream comics was the Brian Michael Bendis, David Finch Avengers. Mm, I never read that. The thing that grabbed me was, first off, I'd heard about Brian Michael Bendis just from his name getting mentioned in the comics journal. So even though I wasn't paying attention to mainstream comics in the 90s and early aughts, I was still aware on a peripheral level of what was happening. So I knew all these names. I knew, um, you know, when Jonathan Hickman started and Rick Remender and all those guys, uh, just from seeing their names thrown, thrown around in the comics journal. And Brian Michael Bendis was one of those people. So that had me intrigued so much. I, I knew he was doing Daredevil too. And people really liked that and compared it to the Frank Miller stuff. Mm-hmm. But David Finch's art was so funky and weird to me. And I know a lot of people hate it, but I was just like, I can't believe there's somebody who draws like this working on this mainstream book. Is that, is that the, the, where all the enemies escape from the raft and it's pre-civil yeah. war? Oh yeah. yeah. That's good. Start, starts out with vision showing up and he's mm-hmm. like, things are coming out of his mouth or maybe that's Ultron. So something it's been a while since I've read it, but uh-huh. yeah, it's pretty brutal. You know, the things that happen in it. And now yeah. of course that stuff happens in the movies. Yes. And, uh, but uh, you know, Finch's art was what really grabbed me on that. So, uh, you know, if there's a good Hickman run, that's got some great art on it. I would, I would check that out. Sure. Are you reading X-Men right now? No, I'm not really reading any mainstream books at the moment. You doing your own thing? Uh, pretty much. It's more, I just don't have time. And yeah. my, my eyesight has gotten really bad over the last year or so. Okay. So it's difficult for me to sit and draw all day and then sit and read a comic yeah. book. Because I, I just need to give my eyes a break. So I'm usually wa- just watching TV and I don't have to worry about focusing on it. The Bendis Daredevil stuff is what got me into him. That and Powers. Okay. How many hours a day are you drawing? At least eight. Um, more if I can fit it in, because uh, yeah. I'm, you know, one of the deals when we moved here, because we moved to Chicago because of my wife's job, and um, she puts in 10 to 12 hours a day. So part of my responsibility is is cooking dinner and, and you know, taking care of if I, we need to get groceries or anything like that. So yeah. I'm balancing taking care of that stuff with drawing and then... Um, like right now, today, I spent the whole day just processing packaging orders from this new book. I know. But I saw yeah, that it was a, good, a real success. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. It, I was I was shocked. Um, I think part of it may be people seeing the prices on these other books and knowing that I do tend to just, you know, let a print run, run out and that's it. So I do think that there may be some of that, like, oh, I got to get this now. Mm-hmm. because this is going to sell out and then I may never get it again, which I, I, I'm not purposefully doing that. It's just the nature of how I put my stuff out. So mm-hmm. that, that may have something to do with it. And you said you, um, you have a, um, like an art dealer. I see that a lot. I follow a lot of them on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I follow your dealer as well. That's like, is that a new thing? I guess not new, but it's, I guess there's more exposure of it because it's social media where a lot of artists are booked doing commissions, right? A lot of yeah. you guys like are just really, really uh, socked with a lot of commission orders, aren't you? Yeah, that's where the bulk of my income is from right now. Cool. Um, 
and and there's a few different uh, art reps that have pushed that. It started mainly. Uh, I don't want to to claim to be an expert on any of this stuff, but I, I listened to a few podcasts where they talk about the original art market and the commission market. Uh-huh. And I think a big part of it was through conventions. Um, most artists would offer a you know, eight and a half by 11 head sketch that you could get. People started creating these jam pieces. So they'd go from table to table. They'd set it up with an artist ahead of time and say, Hey, I want to do an Avengers jam piece. So I, I want to get a head sketch Mm-hmm. in these smaller spots from X amount of artists at shows. And they would uh, uh, get to a point where I think a lot of artists, especially myself, you, it's difficult enough for me just to do my own work and juggle communicating with collectors who may want something. So it made sense for me to get a rep just to handle that side of it. So I didn't feel the pressure of like, oh man, I got five emails I got to answer from people who are, wanting to know what's going on. I can just focus on the art. Yeah. Um, obviously there were no shows last year. So that I think made the online aspect of it grow even more because, you know, people had saved up money to go to shows to get head sketches and, yeah. uh, you know, they end up getting them online instead. What do you get requests for the most? Who are you drawing all day? Um, my rep, Cam uh, with the Inky Knuckles is is um, the group that I'm with. He said I'm becoming known as an X Men guy for some reason, and I I think just I've done a few pieces that have been highly detailed, and uh, um, so he he gets a few X Men requests. Uh, then I just did this Dark Knight Returns piece, which I think I I got the biggest response out of anything I've posted in the last year on Instagram from this piece. So that may be something that I, I start doing, which I have mixed, mixed emotions about that. Cause I just, that, that book is so, uh, so much about the art. So the idea of reinterpreting that art in your own style, there's a disconnect for me there. Cause it's like, well, they nailed it. Like the, the, that team, that's what that book is to me. And, and but I understand it too, you know, that especially with that book, you can't get original pages from that. So really all you can do is get recreations of those pages. It's like a good cover song. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So do you, have you been collecting anything yourself during lockdown? Um, yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I still collect movie posters. Um, I, uh, I got a few things um, that I've been looking for for a while. Mainly my interest there is uh, 70s um, drive-in and grindhouse type movies. Wow. Those are, um, those are hand-painted usually, right? Usually, yeah. 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 The uh, images. Not the, I'm not the poster, but the image is exactly. a hand-painted poster, right? Yeah. Beautiful stuff. And, you know, my, my qualifier when I buy that um, material is that it's got to be a movie that I've seen. Even if the poster is fantastic, it's got amazing art. If I haven't actually seen the movie, I'm not going to buy it. Hopefully it's a movie that I really, really like. But if it's a movie I've seen that's just okay, but the poster is spectacular, I'll, I'll buy the poster. Um, and a lot of times when I do go to conventions, I'll look for a dealer that's got movie posters. And that's usually where I spend my money yeah. uh, when, I'm, when I'm at a show. What's your gem? 
Um, I'm really into this uh, Brazilian director named Jose, excuse me, Jose Mojica Marins, uh-huh. uh, also known as Coffin Joe. Uh-huh. Uh, he worked primarily in the seventies and just did these insane movies. He, and he has this character with this top hat and these long fingernails. Uh-huh. And he would do personal appearances as that character. And uh, so finding actual um, uh, ephemeral material from that stuff is, is pretty difficult. Um, but I did get a poster from one of the films off of eBay a few years ago and I got it professionally framed. That was, that was a grail for me is getting a, a Coffin Joe poster. Um, nice. so, is it yeah. one of those oversized ones? It is. It's a little, yeah, it's definitely bigger than an American one sheet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I couldn't just put it in a, a nice Ikea poster frame. I had to get it. <laughs> the, the frame costs more than the poster itself. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And um, are, are there any other things that you collect besides movie posters? Do you still collect comics? Yeah, basically what happens is I'll, I'll find a, um, a little black hole of, of work by an artist that I wasn't aware of. So I just recently found out that Rudy Nebris, um, this Filipino artist, had inked a bunch of issues of uh, Doctor Strange. Uh-huh. Um, I think in the late seventies um, and he inked over like Jim Starlin. I, I want to say there was a Carmine Infantino issue, but I don't think he worked for Marvel. Um, anyway, um, there's probably a run of like 10 issues that Rudy Nebert's worked on. So I found that out immediately put in an order and, and filled in all the holes on that. So that's, if I, if I'm collecting any comics, it's usually based on the artist that worked on it. Is that the Dr. Strange room that Steve Englehart wrote? I believe so. Yeah. It's, I'm reading uh, that right now. Wow. Oh, really? Okay. I'm, yeah. It's in, one in from like 74? Some of the 30 cent issues. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that's Englehart doing that. Those are wild. I'm really enjoying yeah. those. Yeah. We're talking great. the same ones. Yep. But, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't, um, I usually don't read them. I just flip through them and, and look at the art um, and try to find some panels that I really like to put up on Instagram. Mm-hmm. The other thing I do collect and every few months, whenever I, you know, get a nice batch of commissions and get paid, I've been buying the IDW artist edition books. Those are really I, nice. Yeah. I love those. I've got maybe, um, I can look at it right now. I've got about 10 of them right oh, wow. now. I just got the Dan Klaus original art one from Fantagraphics, the studio edition. Which the big one, right? The big one, yeah. Yeah, I bought that. It's gorgeous. Oh, it's fantastic. I have nowhere to put it, but it's amazing. Oh, yeah. I've got this giant Ikea shelf, and it's <laughs> I can see the shelf as Boeing. I've got to figure out some other place to put these books. <laughs> I, don't, I think I've reached the max on that. Um yeah, and I've got the the Jack Davis one, which is also that size, you know, the two up size books, uh-huh. and that Jack Davis one just blows my mind. It's so cool that they're starting to release all of these artist edition books and these oversized kind of, um, they're almost like gallery editions. Mm-hmm. You know, they really put the work into a different context. I, I know we're, I'm circling back to that, you know, that that kind of lame fine art label, which I'm, I really am, I, it's not that. It kind of puts something, it, it places too much serious, seriousness on it. Whereas it's really something more to be delighted over and, and kind of party with. You know, some of these guys would, would yeah. 
would kind of uh, cringe at the thought of their stuff being fine art. Yeah, and they would probably cringe at the thought of somebody looking at it so intently. Like, yes, you know, the when I'm creating a page for my comic, I know that it's going to be sold. That's that's just part of the deal. Like, this is going to be in somebody else's hands, and I'm thinking of that constantly. I want this look to look as perfect as possible. These things are covered in paste ups and covered in, you know, you can see where they redrew something or they just like, I'm, I'm shocked at the um, Dark Knight Returns book when I look through that at just how sloppy some of those backgrounds are. I haven't seen, I haven't flipped through that. That's, that's on my list. That one and the, the Born Again one. No, the Morgan is fantastic. Uh, that that book is is amazing to look through, and almost the polar opposite of the Dark Knight Returns, just in terms of the. Uh, um, it's not detail. Uh, it's not. A, it's not about the detail. It's just about the rendering, um, where I think maybe with Dark Knight Returns, part of it was speed. Part of it was knowing that Lynn Varley was going to color it. So it was like, let's leave the background as loose as possible. I know that uh, Klaus Janssen had um, farmed out a lot of that work. And supposedly Todd McFarlane did some of the background inking on Dark Knight oh. Returns. Uh-huh. Uh, so that could be part of it is just he's handing it to someone like, you need to get this done as quickly as you can because yeah. we have to turn these in. Because Frank Miller was working on four things while he was doing that. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, that when he was working on Dark Knight Returns, I think he was also working on, he was writing uh, Electra Assassin. Uh, the Daredevil Love and War graphic novel, I think, was happening, being developed at that same time. And then um, I think he was writing um, Born Again. Wow. At the same time he was doing Dark Knight Returns. So, you know, I. I don't know. It, it's a crazy thing, but I, I the Mazzucchelli stuff, you you know that he he realized like first off this is going to be poorly printed, so some of this stuff doesn't matter, but he's just got such a deft hand with the way that he would do, um, you know, just a very simple looking background, but he knew that if I just do a quick brush stroke, thick brush stroke, that's going to represent the shelf or whatever he needed. It wasn't sloppy, but it was just, it, it's insane how, how well he understood how that art was going to look when it was reduced and printed. Yeah. And he had an eye for the, the layouts are really, um, they're kind of cutting edge. Yeah. For layouts sure. and, and, and his design work and, and uh, his staging of his characters, this blocking, there's mm -hmm. really nothing close to it beforehand yeah. and it kind of it, it really was brand new it, it looks so fresh even to this day it looks fresh oh yeah absolutely and it's a shame you know I, there are plenty of artists that you can point to that you could say oh they they work in a Mazzucchelli style and you can see it in their their line work you can see it in the way they render figures and their shadows and everything but they're missing something there's something about Mazzucchelli that goes beyond the way that he rendered characters and more into a uh, just an expressionism and when you see the later work that he did like rubber blanket you understand why that's visible in the daredevil stuff mm -hmm. because he wasn't necessarily thinking i want to make this as realistic as possible i want to make this look like a movie or whatever he was cartooning yeah right 
but he was being told you have to work within this style because that's what everybody else is doing at Marvel right now. So he's like, okay, I'll do that. But his mind was working in an entirely different realm than, than what other people were doing. And I have to apologize. My cat is, of course. Oh, good. I didn't even notice. You got meows back there? Is that what's going yeah, on? Yeah, yeah. Sorry. She's, you know, this is her time to roam around, I guess. Oh, good. Apologies. You really see that his full capabilities with the stereos polyp. I don't really want to get yeah. on a, on a, uh, I said Mazzuccelli. It's Mazzuccelli. How do you pronounce it? I had seen somewhere there was a Marvel thing where they showed you how to pronounce all the bullpens names. And that's how I learned how to say Sienkiewicz. Uh-huh. Um, so I had read Mazzuccelli, but I couldn't. Okay. I we'll couldn't go with that. You okay. really see his fullest, what, what, what's actually possible within comics with the yeah. stereos polyp. That's yeah. a wonderful, wonderful book by him. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, it's one of those things where you wish an artist like that was doing work more frequently, but you do understand that this is there's a lot of thought going into this. It wasn't something that he threw out to get done as quickly as possible. And I don't know if he's working on anything else. I mean, that book's like 10 years old at this point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm sure he's done something and I'm probably unaware of it, but uh, yeah. Where do you see Canker going? Well, I'm at a point now where I really need to take a break from it. Um, this new book is is more or less an epilogue to the Ad House book. It was when I when I was putting the Ad House book together, I knew we wanted to fill it out with some extra pages, and um, I was under a pretty tight deadline to get those extra pages done. So I was filling in story elements that I thought would maybe make the narrative clearer. Mm-hmm but I knew that there was something else I wanted to add to it. And then this thing happened. Um, the book is called Anamnesis uh, is, is the t- subtitle of this new Kankor book. Um, and I think it, it's a nice way to just put an end cap on that mm-hmm. bit of story. I don't know what I'll do with Kankor after that. Um, the next thing I work on is going to be my horror comic, which is called Sweet Sepulcher. Cool. I've got an idea for an expanded version of that. Um, what I've been doing with that is just mini comics with short stories and random BS mm-hmm. in there. Um, but I do have a longer uh, concept um, that I'm going to start working on next. Hopefully get that out uh, by next spring. And do you look f- at your past? Are you still looking towards your past for these stories or are you in a uh, whole new terrain? I would love to not be so internal about it because, you know, everything is, is related to my mental problems, emotional problems, past decision making. And when I was, I had an idea for this Sweet Sepulchre comic. And as I was putting it together, I was like, man, I can't escape this. It's, this is about my childhood. This, this story is about growing up with my dad and being a, a monster kid. Uh, you know, as much as you could be one in the seventies, I know monster kids are really from the fifties, but that's what my dad was. So it's about this lineage of being a monster kid mm-hmm. without telling that story. I don't want it to be about my dad and then me. It's about these other characters, but it's all tied into that. Do you mean, uh, do you mean when you say monster kid, like a bad behaved kid or somebody who's into monsters? Into monsters. Monster movies? Yeah. That, that, that phrase being used for like the kids in the fifties that were reading famous monsters magazine. Got it. And watching, you know, shock theater and, and loving all that, that stuff, you know, running around dressed as Frankenstein's monster and mm-hmm. things like that. So, yeah. 
That's cool. Probably wasn't cool in school. Actually, you know what? Uh, for me, it was surprisingly. Like somehow, I was able to parlay that geekiness into being accepted by the popular kids. Like I was invited to parties and told, like, bring the grossest movie you can find because they knew I was really into horror movies. I'd walk around junior high wearing a Texas Chainsaw Massacre shirt. Now, I'm not saying I was you know, prom king or anything like that. I did um go to parties and stuff though with the jocks and was known as like the kid who would bring cool movies so do you collect old movies too yeah yeah that's the other thing i I had a decent vhs collection for a long time but uh once um companies like vinegar syndrome and severin started doing these really nice restorations of the movies that i like i just there's no point in me collecting vhs anymore uh so I've got a decent sized collection of, of stuff from something weird and, and vinegar syndrome, synapse arrow. What are, those? what are those companies? Oh, these are all like boutique Blu-ray companies. Oh. So there's this, um, this trend now in physical media for movies that somewhat follows the criterion model where there's a lot of really cool extras on these movies. They do great restorations. They get commentaries from authors um, and, and the original filmmakers if they're still around. Wow. So uh, Vinegar Syndrome, I think, is, is the one that I'm most interested in because they cover a wider range of, of eras. Uh-huh. Um, so you could get stuff going back to the 60s from Spain and then you could get a, United, you know, a movie from the United States in the early 80s that was you know some cheesy slasher movie um so yeah that that kind of stuff is is it's hard for me to let go of that i know everybody's switching to streaming and i've got a buddy who's like why are you buying blu-rays still and it's like because i want all that extra stuff and i want the really nice packaging and i want to have a shelf full of you know this company's stuff because they make the spines to look really nice together on a shelf. I'm, I'm still a sucker for that stuff. What do you think that is? Um, I mean, for me, it's, it's going back to the, you know, being at the comic book store and seeing a, a, a collection of something for the first time. Uh, I had a, a friend when I was in first grade and his mom collected, um, they're like covers for electrical equipment, like these glass bells, essentially, that would that would go on like the, the power lines. But every state had different ones. She had this whole collection of them on the wall in the basement. That was the first time I ever saw a collection laid out like that. Then later I had a friend in school whose dad collected John Deere memorabilia. And he had a whole room and all along you just saw all this John Deere stuff. Um, later on in high school, there was a kid that knew that I was into comics because he saw me wearing like a Spider-Man shirt or something. I went over to his house and he had this huge collection and it was all cataloged. And so just, that's always appealed to me is just seeing something like that. That's just, you know, well curated, looks nice, beautifully designed. It's just, it's great. I agree. I'm the same way. There's some type of context that comes out of grouping something together with other parts of it. Yeah. Kind of get a story, you get a mood, you get, you get something, it's, you have something to work towards. 
Yeah. You exactly. have some sort of a job. There's like a responsibility. You're on a quest in a way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's sure. joy in that. And then when you have it and it's all together and it's, you know, as complete as you would like it, whether yeah. or not there is ever the sense of something being complete for a collector, I don't know, but the set, the having them grouped on a shelf, there's really a, a there's, there's something very satisfying about it. Absolutely. And I, I think that, um, the one thing I would say, I, I don't consider myself to be a completist, partly because I like to still always have something to hunt for. Um, so even, you know, talking about the Mazzucchelli Daredevil stuff, I only just got the first issue that he did like a month ago. Wow. I didn't even realize it was missing from my collection. I just had never even made a list. It was just like I'd, you know, flip through stuff. Like, oh, Mazzucchelli did this. I need to fill this hole. Um but the thing that really killed being a completist for me was um, in the late 90s when DVDs first started, uh, something weird video out of Seattle that you know put out all these exploitation movies on VHS. They made a deal with Image Entertainment to put out these DVD collections of all their movies. And I got in on the ground floor with that. I was like, this is super cool. There's all these double and triple features and they put all these cool extras and the something weird logo is this little guy. I don't know where they got it from, but it's this little man in a suit. So when you see all of the spines together on a shelf, you see that little guy uh -huh. and then they have an image from the poster up in the corner. So those DVDs were coming out like a couple of months and I was making sure that I got pretty much every one there were a few titles I wasn't super interested in. I don't like anything with uh, like rednecks or moonshine. I, I, I stayed away from that. I usually don't like anything from the thirties. So, you know, if there was like a, a reefer madness type movie, I didn't necessarily get that right away. Yeah. But at a certain point I was like, man, I have almost the whole collection. So I need to just finish this. I need to have all the something weird DVDs on the shelf together. And they put out this double feature from this American distributor named K. Gordon Murray, who would import all this stuff from Mexico. And they put together this double feature. I forget what was on it. I think Doctor of Doom, which was this Mexican wrestling movie. And I forget what the other movie was on there, but that came out. And then K. Gordon Murray's estate found out about it because a lot of something weird stuff was technically public domain, but huh? some of it was still owned by people. So they would come forward and say, hey, we actually own that movie. So the K. Gordon Murray people came in and said, no, you can't, you're, you can't release those. So that movie immediately became out of print, that particular DVD. Well, they had a follow-up and I guess they did some test pressings of it because I was on this movie forum and this guy had one. He had found it used in a record store. Wow. And he brought it up. He's like, I got this thing. Does this, has anybody else seen this before? And I'm looking at it. I was like, Oh man, like this, that exists. That means my collection will never be complete because immediately people swarmed on this guy saying, Hey, you know, will you sell that to me? And I wanted it. And a bunch of other people wanted it on this movie for him. And he knew right away. He's like, Oh man, I'm, I'm going to hold on to this. Yeah. So knowing that I was never going to have a complete collection, I was just like, yeah, forget it. You know, I, I, I think they put out like 143 titles and I had probably 135. So I never bothered with the remainder of that. And I've sold most of it since then, but. Um, sold it separately? 
Pretty much. Yeah. Anything that I saw was going out of print and was hard to get. I'd sell on eBay and flip it for a decent amount of money. It's so funny. You just threw your hands up. I get it. You can't have it all. Like it's just, you you might as well not go on anymore. Yeah. There's no reason. You mentioned something interesting um, that you went back and you bought that born again issue. Mm -hmm. Did you, did you find that there was less joy in acquiring that so many years later and it wasn't something that you originally bought on the shelf? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was more of just like, well, it was three bucks or whatever. Um, I can't remember what issue number it was like 208 or something like that. And the early Mazzucchelli stuff, other people were inking him. So it's not the born again. It's like, it was his very first issue way prior to before it properly starts. Yeah. Excuse me. Um, so it was just more about like, eh, I, got it. I, I flipped through it when I got it and just stuck it in a bag and put it in a box. I, I'm sure I'll look through it at some point, but. You know. Yeah. There's stuff that I've lost just in moves. Some of my parts of my collection that I lost, like they're just mm-hmm. gone. Yeah. And I could go to eBay and buy them, but like, it's not going to be the same. You know, yeah. part of the joy was that you, I had them. I, I bought, I remember buying them off the rack. I, the, you know, the yeah. feeling that I had when I was reading it and, just buying it now, it, it'll, it just would seem so lifeless to me. Yeah, I agree. I Going back to uh, Coffin Joe, um, that Brazilian director, there was a box set that came from Brazil. Everything on it's in Portuguese. Um, and there was a, a company um, called Luminous Film and Video Work, I think I got it from, that would import all of these um, weird movies from other countries. And... I got this thing and it was signed by the director in gold. And when we moved to Chicago, I was so worried about some of my collectibles getting destroyed in the move. And and because we, there was a moving company that was going to take care of all that for us. I was like, I'm going to package this stuff up and I'm going to put it in unmarked boxes. Or if I've got, you know, we've got a can opener box, I'll stick some DVDs in there so that they'll just get thrown in. And it took us about three months to unpack and I could not find that Coffin Joe box set anywhere. And I was just so depressed about it because it was, you know, it's way out of print, signed. You're never going to get it signed. He had passed away a few years ago, so that's an impossibility. But then I was looking on eBay and I thought, well, let me see if I can find another one just to have it. And there was a record store near where we lived in Denver that had one for sale on eBay for like $75. And I thought, man, did one of the moving people steal it and sell it to this used record store? Right. So I immediately bought it, hoping that it was my copy. And But it just so happened it wasn't. It wasn't signed. And I could tell by the markings and stuff on it because it had a little more shelfware than mine did um, that it wasn't my copy, but just very odd that somebody got rid of theirs within a month or so of me losing mine in Denver. So, but when I did finally get it, it was like, yeah, I just threw it on the shelf. Like, yeah, it doesn't really mean anything now. Right. But for some reason, it would have kept you up at night because you didn't have it anymore, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What would you take? In a fire, what would be the first thing you would grab besides your cat? Besides this cat, um, wow. Uh, I have an original um, Jim Woodring page that I did purchase. Um, we, uh, 
we had refinanced our house and my wife and I were both like, Hey, let's take some money and we'll get something just totally extravagant that we wouldn't normally buy. So I spent like $800 on this page. That's the most I've ever spent on any original art, but that's the treasure to me. And I would definitely grab that for sure. What, what is it from? It's from Weathercraft, which is one of the more recent um, uh, Frank books that he did with Fantagraphics. Cool. And uh, I, the, the page is, is of his character Manhog, who I'm, I most identify with in that book. I have a Manhog tattoo. So when I saw it, uh, the art rep that, or the art dealer um, who had it on eBay, that was, it's one of the less expensive pages because it doesn't have the character Frank on it, but it was perfect for me just because it was all Manhog. It was, huh? it was great. So I was very excited to get that. Are you do you have any like dream merch or any dream collectible for your comics that you would like to put out? I was working with a local guy here um, on doing an action figure. Yes. Uh, something, you know, a vinyl figure that looks like it was made in Japan. Mm -hmm. And we were really struggling with figuring out exactly what we wanted to look like. And then I just got very caught up with commissions and working on this new book so I, I put that way on the back burner um, but I do want to get back together with him and, and work that out because I've got some ideas that I think would be pretty cool for that yeah your drawings are so dynamic the poses that you put your characters in they're oh, tailor made for a figure on a shelf yeah yeah for sure and, and the thing that I thought would be cool is you know I always like the figures where you could take off body parts and swap them around <laughs> Like the old Micronauts, you know, Baron Carza and Force Commander had those magnetic body parts that you could take off. So something like that would be cool where you could pull off Kankor's arm and put the pink droopy melty one on instead or put, you know, a mask on him or something like that. Yeah. Um, do you collect toys? Oh, yeah. Yep. Do you? Yeah, I it's I've really dialed back on that because I was going crazy there for a while. Um, and really i mean if less if, if it's it's got to be something i'm really excited about so i years ago i was working at a print shop i'd been at there at this job for 18 years and i just quit one day and i had all this financial debt from buying all this collectible stuff and i was making a decent amount of money at this place but i quit and and it took me a while to find another job so i started to have to sell stuff mm -hmm. and i had this articulated 12 inch doll that was put out by celestial pictures when they put out the Shaw brothers movie called inframan which was this chinese basically a ripoff of ultraman but it's this great movie I, I i loved it i remember roger ebert talked about this movie as being um his video pick of the week back in the 80s and as soon as i rented it and saw it i fell in love with it and then when these figures came out, they only made, I think, 104 of each. There was Inframan and then one of the villains, Henchmen. And um, so I immediately bought them. I think they were probably like 150 bucks at the time. But I had to sell those when I quit my job. Yeah. Super hard to find. Like, I just, and I hate the movie. Like, I don't hate the movie, but I never wanted to watch the movie again because it would just depress me thinking yeah. about it. And I have a one sheet for it. I have a tie poster for it. I don't even hang them because it's just like, oh, it's, I, I had to get rid of those toys. I'm always going to be reminded of that. And I finally found somebody had the henchman toy on eBay and I picked it up for a really good price. Great. 
So that was something that I was like, you know, normally I wouldn't do this, but that's another replacement item. And I did feel really good about that. That was something where I did, because I was like, finally got this back, watched the movie again for the first time in like eight years. So was the figure in good condition? Oh yeah. This cool. person, um, I, it was sad because the, in the listing, they talked about, um, it was the person's kids that were selling it. This, this guy passed away and they were piecing out his collection and selling it on eBay. And he had kept it in the box. Fantastic shape. It's, it's beautiful. So that's, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. Very happy with that. I've spoken with a few toy collectors so far. I made the jump like early two thousands from like, the McFarlane stuff just right into like Michael Lau and Bounty Hunter and all like the stuff from Asia. Um, And I've been paying a lot of attention recently to uh, toys for some reason, because there are just so many being released. And I came to the conclusion that it is a horrible time to be in (laughs) toys. Yeah. If you are into them, because there's new stuff, all the time it's super expensive yep. it's really awesome they've gotten yep. really really good at it even the mainstream companies i'm talking about oh, and yeah, yeah. they're just relentless in the releases yeah yeah i couldn't i mean there's plenty of stuff where i'm like oh man i would love to have this but i would be flat broke or i would be having to you know sell something every week to 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 get some of these like unbox industries puts out fantastic stuff and they put out a martial law figure oh wow that was something i had to have um but yeah i i get it i completely get it there's a japanese vinyl toy shop here in chicago i haven't been in yet because i'm afraid to because mm-hmm. just i know it's full of good stuff um yes. yeah it's crazy it's dangerous it's dangerous yeah. um but they look so good on a shelf mm-hmm. they really yeah. do <laughs> yeah, and that's what I try to tell myself lately is like, you know what, you should just focus on creating and not worry so much about buying stuff from other people. So I just, you know, I, I use that in, in, in the back of my mind and just think be very selective about what you buy, as opposed to just get everything that you want. Because, again, that's what derailed me for so long, because I was just so concerned about, I would sit up at night with movie catalogs and just making lists of all the movies that I wanted to get out of these catalogs. And I'd go to my reference book and like, okay, this, you know, weird Lucio Fulci Western that I remember, I need to look that up and find out if I want to order that or not. It was such a waste of time, but it seemed so important in the moment. Yeah. Um, But it was that collector That's something that's really true. Um, The dynamic of, are you a consumer or a creator? Mm -hmm. Yep. And there's nothing wrong with being a consumer because, I mean, we talk about collecting and that is hyper consumerism and there is some sort of um, artistry, I suppose, maybe more lifestyle art, sure. art you know, uh, art adjacent lifestyle that you're involved in. But, yeah, it's one of those things where it does take up your headspace and yeah. um, it is the polar opposite of what a creative person should be doing. Exactly. It is. Yeah. It, it was really a, uh, a, a bad time in my life for that. And it was fulfilling. I, I mean, it was scratching an itch for sure. But, you know, it just wasted so much time. And I, and I look at just how much my art has changed in the last eight years because I'm drawing every day. And I think, man, if I had, you know, I'm 48 now. 
And I've really only been doing this since I was 40, well, maybe like 38. So like the last 10 years, if from the time I was 18 till I was 38, instead of, you know, going to a, uh, you know, I used to spend my weekends in this um, Vietnamese gift shop that had all these Hong Kong movies you could rent. And I'd make these lists of all these movies and I'd go there and I'd spend hours and I'd come home with bags of tapes and I'd make copies of all these movies and I'd spend time drawing out the labels, you know, of the, the, the title of the movie. So it all looked good on my shelf and just like, God, what a, what a waste of time doing that. Do you think it somehow has seeped into the work? Um, it makes me not letter. I don't like lettering. I spent all that time hand drawing letters for the titles of these VHS tapes. I just found one in my crawl space and was looking at it. I'm like, God, this label probably took me two hours to make it. It's so dumb. <laughs> so yeah, that's why I use computer lettering because it's just, it's so time consuming to hand letter stuff. So you really weren't drawing, you weren't cartooning prior to 39, 38? I had sketchbooks. And I would draw when I felt compelled. There were times like I have to draw. I just always mm -hmm. would have to draw. But I was so unhappy with the results that a lot of times those sketchbooks ended up in the trash. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and every now and then I would, you know, print something off at work and maybe pass it out at a, you know, uh, record store, you know, the, the record store near where I lived had a little shelf where you could put flyers and stuff. And so I put my drawings on there. Just, I don't know. I knew I wanted people to see it, but it just never felt like it was worth doing. It's very Gen X. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Very Gen X. Like also something that you said um, about how you wouldn't buy the, the movie poster if you didn't like the movie, even if you liked the movie poster. Yeah. Those rules, like I, I, I have such similar rules to these things uh -huh. in my life as well. I totally sure. understand where you're coming from. Yeah. And nobody else cares. I mean, other collectors understand it, but well, that's the thing with collecting too, is that in your mind, you're always like, man, you know, I, I'm going to pretend like I'm walking into this room for the first time and seeing all these movies. Well, anybody who would actually care about my movie collection probably owns all those movies anyway. Yeah. They're not even going to look at them. No. But you know, that's in my mind. I always was like, oh, what if, you know, this person got to see this? What would they think about my decision to put these two movies together? Nobody cares. It would be four people, three yeah. of which you wouldn't even get along with. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm the same way. You think like, oh, if somebody who would see this would know that I'm really into this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's like an anxiety. Yeah. It's a neurosis, totally really. Yeah. And yeah, I across the board too, like sneakers and watches and boats and original oh, art, it's all the same. For sure, yeah. No I, one um, cares. Yeah, nobody cares. And <laughs> I think that it's liberating to know that on a certain level. And I think that that also keeps me from being a completist because it's I realize like uh, it doesn't matter if I have every single one of these toys or if I have every single video that this company puts out, it, it, it's not, doesn't serve any purpose. Cause I've seen those people, I've been on movie forums and seen the person who has basically recreated a video store in their basement with all the old shelves and they have every wizard videotape and every continental videotape and, and they're all really nicely shelved next to each other. And, and it's cool to look at, but I'm going to look at it for, 
two minutes and then I go about my day. Right. Yeah. You know? I've reached a new, a new point with myself where I'm comfortable with just admiring. I don't have to own. Yeah. That was a hard bump to get over. Well, the internet definitely helps with that. You know, yes. you can get your fix looking at somebody else's stuff and then you realize you don't need to have it all. Yes. Speaking of no one cares, does your wife care about any of this stuff? Uh, no, <laughs> not really. Um, she doesn't hate it uh, by any means, um, but she's not a clutter person. She's not. I remember when we, we got our first apartment together, she moved in with me and then we got our own apartment that we chose together for the first time and we're putting books on the shelf there were built-in bookshelves in this old mansion converted mansion we were in and i collect uh this figure from ultraman a character named pigmon who's okay. this weird little monster and i took one of my pigmon figures and i put it on the bookshelf and i turned around and she's standing behind me and she just shook her head like nope <laughs> you're not doing that but, you know, she does, she's fine with me having movie posters in our, in our living room. And uh, she's, she's, she's pretty cool about it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. With me, um, my wife's a really good sport. Um, but I know now that if she says nothing, uh -huh. that means she likes it. She's never going to be like, oh, that's really cool. Yeah. 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 If she says nothing. I'm in the clear and I should probably get it. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, you know, and, and, and my wife is, um, she, she makes her own clothes. Cool. Just does really, really great work. And, um, you know, so she's super creative in that way. And she loves fashion and she'll buy a really cool pair of shoes that to me, I'm like, well, I would take that money and buy some original artwork with it. But, you know, she appreciates the design and the styling and the, the, the way the shoes were crafted, you know, she's that way with that kind of stuff. I should have her on to talk about her shoes. Yeah, absolutely. There are women that are totally uh, like, um, uh, I'm, I'm searching for the word here, but shoes, stilettos, and, mm -hmm. and just like you have sneakerheads that are guys and also females yeah. that are sneakerheads, but you also have women who are into heels and yeah. women's shoes. Yeah, that's a cool thing too. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, the, the craftsmanship of it is amazing, you know, because I'll, I'll look at this stuff and it's like, oh, I, I completely get it. I completely understand. Um, you know, I, I only wear Chuck Taylors. And the main reason, not so much the fashion, is just it lets my feet breathe. Mm -hmm. So my feet don't get too sweaty. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I every now and then I'll splurge on a funky pair of Chuck Taylors. Nice. Yeah. You find the mark of a good cartoonist in being their ability to draw shoes and feet and hands, I guess, for that matter too. Well, my thing with hands is always like everybody has, well, for the most part, if you're drawing, you're likely going to have at least one hand. You don't have to, you draw with your feet, you, other ways of drawing, but most people have two hands. So I always, I've always felt like, and you've got constant reference that you can look at. Most people I think should be able to draw decent hands. Um, Feet, on the other hand, are they? They're, they're difficult for some reason. I don't know. Uh, you know, the other thing you always hear is drawing horses. If an artist is really good at drawing horses, that's pretty remarkable, and I, I do agree with that. Uh, so I, I would say horses more than anything. If 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 an artist draws a really good horse, that's the sign of a good artist. Yeah. And what makes the, uh, the mark of a good like hero's costume or like a, a hero's look? Um protagonist let's not say hero 
Yeah, I mean, I think the silhouette, you know, the, if you can look at it just completely blacked out, filled in with no detail, and you can tell who the character is, that's always going to be, you know, I mean, I think that's why people like Wolverine and Batman so much. I don't care about the character of Batman. I don't care about Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson and, and Alfred and all that stuff. It's the the silhouette of that costume and the fact that you can do anything with it. I love, um, there's a issue 400 of Batman is a jam issue with you know, maybe 20 different artists and every oh, yeah. artist different. Like the Sankiewicz, uh cover? Sankiewicz, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was a huge deal for me to just know that you can you can interpret this however you want. There was a style guide, obviously. They wanted DC at that point wanted Batman to be recognizable in a certain way. But after Dark Knight Returns came out, I think it was more in vogue to do your own take on that stuff. And now everybody has their own version of Batman and everybody has their own version of Wolverine. Yeah. But I think a costume that allows you to do that is what makes it cool. So what's next? Are you eyeballing anything on eBay right now? Is there anything you're on the hunt for? Oh, you know, after Richard Corbin died, I thought I should start getting some Richard Corbin collections. But, you know, the prices, of course, skyrocketed because he was gone. And um, so I gave up on that pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, I've always got my eye on on the artist editions. There's some few, uh, a few that I, I definitely want to get. I, I almost pulled the trigger on the Walt Simonson Thor um, a couple times over the last few months and that's probably the next one i ended up getting the mike zek uh marvel stories instead oh really yeah so oh, i gotta the, check that out yeah it's it's great stuff it's got the first two issues of the punisher limited series um mm-hmm. uh, a couple issues of the craven's last hunt it's it's beautiful yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah he was he's my spider-man He's the guy who drew my Spider-Man. I mean, I was prime McFarlane age, mm-hmm. but I got into seriously collecting comics with Craven's Last Hunt. Yeah, I, you know, I was thinking of this the other day, like an artist that I wish would have been on a certain book is um, I would have loved to have seen Mike Zek do a long run on Marvel Team-Up because you'd get him doing Spider-Man every issue and then you'd also get him doing some other character every single issue. Yeah. yeah. Is he still around? Yeah, he um, he primarily just does recreations. Um, he he really pioneered that, I think, of offering recreations of his classic stuff because he was somebody who was selling all of his originals when he was working on him. So like he would he sold some guy um, you know all the original Punisher issues for super cheap, like wow. right after he did it. So now of course he's in a position of like, man, I wish I had all that art. So what he's been doing in the last, like, I would say 10 years is recreating like Craven's last hunt cover, but maybe plugging Batman in. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's where he's making a lot of money convention appearances. And I think he might be an art director somewhere wow. doing animation or something. Oh, I have to look up those. It's almost like a remix in a way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's cool. Yeah. I love that. I got to check that out. Yeah. All right, Matthew. So uh, Kanker sold out. Can't get any more. Well, so it's not technically sold out. Well, the Ad House book is definitely sold out. Yeah. Um, and in fact, Chris, unfortunately, just announced that he's shutting down Ad House as of last week. He's done. He, he's doing his hundredth book and maybe one more. But um 
So if that book gets reprinted, it'll be through me uh, via Kickstarter, most, most likely. Mm-hmm. Um, but the new book that just came out, I stopped selling it on my site because I wanted to make sure that I had copies for stores. So technically I'm sold out of them, but stores uh, like Arcane Comics in Seattle, uh, Gutter Pop Comics, I forget where they're at. Um, uh, I've been in talks with maybe a dozen or so stores that are gonna be carrying it for a while. And then my art rep in Canada, he's gonna be selling them to um, Canadian buyers. That's great. Um, Do you have any shops in LA that you sell to? Uh, I'll have to check. Um, my favorite closed down a few years ago that, that I could totally see your books at is meltdown, but it's gone. Yeah. I don't know if I ever had any books in there. Um, uh, so they closed completely. I knew they closed the comedy section. I didn't realize they closed the whole store. Wow. RIP. One of the best comic shops I've ever been to. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. That was, um, a place that I, yeah, I don't think I ever sent anything to meltdown. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I've been lucky in that stores have reached out to me to Mm -hmm. pick up my books as opposed to me having to, you know, ask somebody, Hey, do you have a consignment program or whatever stores will come to me? And it's, it makes things a lot easier, probably local places like Chicago comics and Quimby's here in town. I'll, I'll probably definitely give them some. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm not surprised that the success that you have, the, the book looks great. Like it's, Thank just, you. It's, it's so striking. Like every image you, it's really, you can really see like how much TLC you put into each, each page. Oh, thank, you. thank you. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate that. And my, my art rep is inky knuckles.com and we'll be doing an art drop with the majority of the original pages. I'm holding on to a few of them. Cool. Um, but the ma- majority of the original pages from this new book are going to be available probably in about two weeks. Wow. And what about any conventions? Are you going to be doing any of that? Any traveling this year or any, anything lined up for 2022? What's that like? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't feel comfortable doing any this year. I am vaccinated. I know most people are getting vaccinated, but I just, um, it's, it, it's been nice actually to have a break from doing convention because that's a little bit of a grind. But next year, I'm definitely doing Heroes Con in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's going to be their anniversary, I think 30th anniversary, 30th or 40th. Um, and uh, that's always a great show. Um, I may even just go and walk around and not even table just because it's fun to just be there for that show. And Cake is the local indie show. And I was supposed to be a special guest last year and of course that didn't happen so this year i definitely want to do that show um and i think i got invited to one in kentucky in march that may be the first one that i do next year cool i think it was kentucky maybe i'm wrong Uh, i'll have to look that up awesome man well thanks for making the time it was really nice talking with you i'm glad we, we we linked up yeah you too adam i really appreciate it this has been really fun 